the America's National Parks podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean, dedicated to helping you experience all the benefits of time outside and stay more comfortable while you're out there. From soft and breathable activewear designed to do it all to just right layers perfect for changing weather to sun smart clothing that blocks the sun's harmful rays. Every L.L. Bean product is made with comfortable time outside in mind. Visit LLBean.com to shop now. L.L. Bean, be an outsider. It's been a rough year, right? Just over 12 months ago, we were all beginning some sort of phase somewhere of stay-at-home orders or shelter-in-place orders, not knowing what it all meant. Lots of different changes happened over the course of several months, and now here we are. In no way do I want to belittle the collective difficulty we all went through, but it could have been way worse. In the late 1800s, an island in the Pacific became the home of quarantine exile, and it was not temporary. All told, 1,200 men, women, and children were exiled to the island of Molokai in the Hawaiian Islands. It was a last-ditch effort to save thousands more from a terrible fate. I'm Jason Epperson, and this week on America's National Parks, Kalopapa National Historical Park. People have lived on the island of Molokai for more than 900 years. Around the Kalopapa Peninsula, archaeologists have discovered house sites, fields, and irrigation systems, stone walls, and temples. By the mid-1800s, historical accounts tell us that anywhere from 1,000 to 2,700 people were living on the peninsula. In traditional Hawaiian society, the basic land division is known as Ahupua'a. From the uplands to the sea, there existed all of the resources to sustain life. Locals harvested timber from the hardwood forests for building houses and canoes. They caught fish, gathered sea salt, and grew crops like sweet potatoes on the dry lands and wet valleys. Sweet potatoes were even exported to California during the gold rush years in the mid-1850s, until the fate of the peninsula was changed forever. In the late 1800s, Hansen's disease, also known as leprosy, was reaching epidemic proportions. Bacteria causes nerve damage in patients and can lead to crippling of the hands and feet, paralysis, and blindness. At the time, there was no cure and no known effective treatment, and health officials had no idea how the disease was spreading. This frightened officials in Hawaii, and in a desperate act to save their native populations, isolation seemed to be the only answer. In 1865, the Legislative Assembly and King Kamehameha V approved an act to prevent the spread of leprosy. The act set aside land to isolate those people who were thought to be capable of spreading the disease. The chosen location was on the island of Molokai, a remote and fairly inaccessible land surrounded by a sheer cliff of nearly 2,000 feet to the south and, of course, ocean on the east, north, and west. Boats were only able to land during clear weather. At the time of the law's passing, there had been people living on the Kalopapa Peninsula for more than 900 years. The Hawaiian government purchased lands and moved the Hawaiian residents to other homes, breaking their centuries-long connection with the land. The first group of leprosy patients were dropped off on the island in January of 1866. Nine men and three women. By October, there were a total of 101 men and 41 women left to live out their illnesses and die at the settlement. 
The government had originally assumed that the leprosy patients would move into the houses left behind. They'd tend the crops and sustain themselves. But it soon became evident that most patients were too ill or demoralized to sustain the community themselves. Patients and their families reported insufficient housing and lack of supplies. News of the horrific conditions at the settlement spread, which caused many Hawaiian people to hide their afflicted relatives and friends. Even as the Board of Health continued to send food, clothing, and medical care and built a hospital and homes, the supply could not keep up with the demand. One of the worst things about this illness is what was done to me as a young boy. First, I was sent away from my family. That was hard. I was so sad to go to Kalopapa. They told me right out that I would die here, that I would never see my family again. I heard them say this phrase, something I will never forget. They said, this is your last place. This is where you are going to stay and die. That's what they told me. I was a 13-year-old kid. I remained in Kalopapa for 30 years. I was finally paroled in 1966. My mother was still alive, so I wrote to her and told her I was finally cured. I could come home. After a long while, her letter came. She said, Don't come home. You stay at Kalopapa. I wrote her back and said I wanted to just visit, to see the place where I was born. Again, she wrote back. This time she said, No, you stay there. You see, my mother had many friends and I think she felt shame before them. I was disfigured even though I was cured. So she told me, her daughter, don't come home. She said, you stay right where you are. Stay there and leave your bones at Kalopapa. This place is finally my real home. They take good care of me here. There were those selfless enough to willingly go into isolation with the people who suffered from Hansen's disease. These people were known as Nakokua, or helpers, and they began making their way to the island in 1866. Caring for an ailing community that needs frequent medical care is a large enough task on its own without carrying water, gathering wood, raising livestock, and other necessary chores to stay alive. Nakokua provided labor for many of these necessary tasks though they lived separate from the patients until the isolation laws were lifted in 1969. One of the most famous of these helpers was a man named Joseph D. Voster, better known as Father Damien. In the early days, as Hansen's disease was spreading throughout the Hawaiian Islands, Father Damien learned of a need for priests to serve patients on the island of Molokai. He had arrived in Honolulu in 1864 and spent eight years ministering on the big island of Hawaii before traveling to where the 700 Hansen's disease victims were confined. He was the most well-known but not the first caregiver or religious worker to arrive. 
Other Catholic priests, Mormon elders, congregational ministers, and family and friends of patients all voluntarily traveled to the island to help. Father Damien spoke the Hawaiian language, which likely offered comfort and familiarity in an otherwise tragic and stressful time. Father Damien worked with patients to build houses, construct a water system, and plant trees. He organized schools, bands, and choirs, provided medical care, and buried the dead. Father Damien also pestered the Hawaiian government and his church for more resources, and his efforts to do so created more awareness of the disease around the world. After 12 years of living in Kalawao County, which is, by the way, the smallest county in the nation, doctors confirmed that Father Damien had contracted Hansen's disease. Though the disease is not highly contagious, over the years Damien shared his pipe and did not always wash his hands after bandaging open sores. He did not separate himself from his people. In 1888, another lesser-known figure arrived to help the community of Kalaweo. Her name was Mother Marianne Cope. Mother Marianne was born in Germany as Barbara Kub and later immigrated to New York with her two children. She worked at a factory until she was accepted into the community of Franciscan Sisters and took the name of Marianne. In 1883, she was a supervisor of St. Joseph's Hospital in Syracuse when she received a letter from Hawaii. The letter was from a Catholic priest asking for help in managing hospitals and schools in the Hawaiian Islands. She was 45 years old and had been a sister in the Order of St. Francis for 21 years, and this would certainly be a different path. She accepted and arrived with six other sisters of St. Francis in Honolulu in November 1883. Their immediate task on Oahu was managing the hospital that served as a receiving station for Hansen's disease patients gathering from all over the islands. The most severe cases were sent to the island of Molokai for confinement at Kalueo, then later at Kalupapa. The sisters cared for 200 patients and made improvements in the following two years. In 1888, a wealthy banker from Honolulu donated $5,000 to establish a home for girls in Kalupapa, and the government asked Mother Marianne to supervise the new home. Though some of the sisters were concerned about the state of the community in Kalupapa, Mother Marianne and two others accepted the challenge and arrived at Molokai. Father Damien, who had already been diagnosed with Hansen's disease, anxiously awaited their arrival. Father Damien died in April 1889 with Mother Marianne at his bedside. He wrote a letter to his brother before his death saying, I am gently going to my grave. It is the will of God and I thank him very much for letting me die of the same disease and in the same way as my lepers. I am very satisfied and very happy. From 1988 to 1902, isolation laws continued to be strictly enforced, and the population at the Kalupapa Peninsula swelled to more than 1,100 people. The last remaining non-patients were removed at this time when the isolation settlement was expanded to include the entire peninsula, and the Board of Health took steps to purchase the last remaining property there. Families continued to be separated as spouses and children were removed to the settlement. Babies born to patients were immediately taken by health officials to be cared for by an orphanage or relatives. It was a frightening experience for the patients as well as the healthcare workers and clergy who ministered to the sick. 
In 1900, the Board of Health implemented a plan that would provide high-quality services, facilities, and medical care for patients at Kalapapa. People built individual cottages, dormitories, hospital facilities, and other buildings. Around this time, the federal government of the United States built two facilities on the peninsula, a lighthouse and a hospital. The Molokai Light was built to help guide westbound vessels into Honolulu Harbor on Oahu, and the hospital was constructed to conduct research on Hansen's disease. The station did not last long, even with generous funding, because of its isolation and the inability to bring in patients willing to undergo medical experiments. Mother Marianne and the sisters continued to manage the home for boys that was founded by Father Damien, and also provide shelter at the new Bishop Home for Girls. Though the work was intense, Mother Marianne's optimism, serenity, and caring nature gave strength to the other sisters. Together, they rendered a remarkable service to humanity in the islands of Hawaii. Mother Marianne spent the remainder of her life at Kalupapa and died in 1918 at the age of 80. She was buried on the grounds of Bishop Home and eventually was returned to Syracuse in 2005. Father Damien was also buried in the cemetery at Kalupapa next to his church, though his remains were exhumed in 1936 and reburied in Belgium. In 2009, Damien was canonized a saint in the Catholic Church, having inspired thousands worldwide with his life of devotion served. By 1924, the patient population on Kalupapa Peninsula had been reduced by almost half, with 485 patients remaining. In the 1930s, the governor of the Territory of Hawaii reorganized the program to rehabilitate infrastructure and facilities like the hospital, store, and houses. Researchers discovered drugs that could treat Hansen's disease after World War II, which essentially acted as a cure. The drugs were brought to Hawaii for the first time in 1946 and immediately reduced symptoms and improved the quality of health and life. The former governor moved to the island with his wife to act as the resident superintendent in 1947 and promoted social activities and adult education classes on the island, such as Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, and Lions Club. Many of the physical barriers separating patients from workers were removed at this time more than 80 years after being established. With new drug therapies, the patients were no longer contagious and there was no need for isolation. And more than 100 years after being created, the laws of forced quarantine were abolished in 1969. Many former patients have chosen to remain in Kalupapa, some for the rest of their lives. Today, the settlement is in transition and is much quieter than it once was. There are fewer buildings, and life is lived at a more relaxed pace. Over the years, the Kalupapa Peninsula has served as a place of healing. Now that isolation is no longer necessary, as visitors we can learn about the residents' stories and contemplate a traumatic history for patients and caretakers alike. How can we better respond in the future to people with disfiguring disabilities or illness? In many ways, the suffering of Kalupapa has transformed into pride about what has been accomplished in the face of adversity. Today, Kalupapa National Historical Park is only accessible by mule ride, hiking tour, or airplane from the small Kalupapa airport. 
The park was established in 1980 to preserve the memories and experiences of the people forcibly sent here and ensure current residents can live out their lives peacefully. The park also supports education about Hansen's disease, which was shrouded by stigma for centuries. Hawaii state laws require that all individuals secure a permit prior to entering the historical park. There are no medical, dining, or shopping facilities. Photography of patient residents and their property is strictly prohibited without written permission. And people under 16 years of age are not permitted. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, narrated by Abigail Trebu, and written by Lindsay Taylor, whose blog, The Curiosity Chronicles, can be found on the webpage for this episode. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. For more great American destinations, give us a listen at the Sea America podcast. And if you're interested in RV travel, find us at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys all over social media as our wandering family. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag Be an Outsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks. <laughs>